I'd like for you to turn with me this morning to the book of Revelation, last book of the Bible. The book of Revelation is written by the Apostle John, who also wrote the Gospel of John, who also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John is the last of the living apostles. The others have all died, and John has been... um, sentenced to the island of Patmos, and and there he is to live out the rest of his life. But as John is living on this island, as he is living out the, the, the last days of his life, God comes to him and gives him this incredible vision for him to write down for us to enjoy. You know, they say that the book of Revelation, it's the book that the church wants to, know the mo- wants to know about the most and preachers want to preach about the least. And, and I'll just say it's a, it's a tough book, but, but, but we often miss the beauty of the book because we're trying to figure things out. And, and, and this, th- there is no book in, 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 in Scripture that, that reveals the glory and splendor of Christ any more than this book does. And yet it's the most misunderstood, misinterpreted, and neglected book of the Bible because we get uncomfortable. It's the only book that begins and ends with a promise of blessing for the one who reads it. We're only going to do the seven churches right now, but, but I would encourage you over the next, uh, next week's uh, to, to, to read through this book of Revelation, but, but read through it looking for the magnificence of Christ, looking for the beauty and majesty and, and, and greatness of Christ, and, and, and without trying to decode it or figure out what this or that means, look for the beauty of Christ in this book. And I'd like to start by reading chapter 1. And it says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angels to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads these words of this prophecy and blesses the one who hears it and takes to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and and from the seven spirits before the throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever Amen. 
Look, he is coming in the, with the clouds and, and every eye will see him and, and those who, even those who pierced him and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John. Your brother and companion in, suffer, in the suffering and the kingdom and, and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet and which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergium, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw the seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white, like wool and as white as the snow and his eyes were like blazing fire his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace and his voice was like the loud sound of rushing waters in his right hand he held seven stars and out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance when i saw him i fell at his feet as though dead and then he placed his right hand on me and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living, I'm the living one. I was dead and behold, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Lord, will you open our eyes this morning to the beauty of this book. Help us to see Jesus in a clearer better way how about to change us in christ's name i pray amen you yeah, as we as we enter into this book i was wondering you know as i was as i was sitting there this morning what if we would have done you know we did for the book of jonah we did this uh thing where we had the kids each draw a a, a theme for each chapter and i was wondering why didn't we do that for revelation how cool would that have been for us to I mean, just for the children, just for any of you to, to draw a picture to, to illustrate what we just read that Jesus looks like. You know, we, we, we love thinking of Jesus as a little baby in a manger, gentle and, and quiet and, and, and just ooing and eyeing, and we love that picture of Jesus. We love a picture of Jesus being the gentle shepherd and leading us and, and loving and, and walking among the people, just caring for them and healing them and, and preaching to them. We love that picture. 
And we see that illustrated in children's um, uh, curriculum. But when we get to a picture of this Jesus, we get a little uncomfortable at his power and authority. think we need to dig in and understand the magnificence of Christ and the beauty of Christ and the power of Christ that we see in this book. Now, the book of Revelation, so, so what is it as far as what type of book is it? It's really three, there are three different genres of, 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 of um, uh, types of, of, of literature that we see here. The first one is, it's a series of, of apocalyptic visions. John says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, the revealing of Christ. And this, that, that word re- revelation means apocalyptic. It literally means to uncover truth or a revelation of truth, of things that must soon take place. So it's a revelation of something that's either happening or going to happen soon. And, it, and, and, and it's expressed through, through visions of how God's kingdom is being and will ultimately be established. And and so God gives a vision to John that's filled with all kinds of of symbols and images that that often confuse us. And so here we have this series of of apocalyptic visions or um, symbols, lots of symbols but also filled with prophetic announcement. He says in verse, in verse 3, he says, Blessed is one who reads the words of this prophecy of things that will be. And, and so this is a prophetic book in the same line of, and the books of Scripture like Daniel and Ezekiel and Zechariah and Isaiah. And, and actually, the book of Revelation, there are, there are approximately 250 of the 400-some verses make reference to the Old Testament and to these prophetic books. And it includes predictions of, the, of future events, warnings of coming judgments, and then really an overview of God's plan ultimately for end times. But then it's, it's also a, a congregational letter. Just like the letters that Paul wrote to the churches, John says in verse 4, John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, peace to you from whom, from him who is and who was and is to come. And so it is written as a letter to encourage the churches that were under fierce persecution, these churches in Asia. In a time of crisis, really, they were being brutally persecuted, and so John writes this letter to encourage these seven churches, to reassure and to strengthen and encourage them with his words. So this letter was written to take to the churches so that the churches would, somebody would stand up and would read this letter so that people would understand what's going on and what they were to do. 
And so when, when the churches in, in this area, when they heard this letter, they didn't go into decoding mode, trying to figure everything out and understand what, what every little word meant and what, what every little symbol meant. They understood a lot of it. But as they read and as, they, as it was read to them, they understood it and they were like, okay, that was encouraged. Now, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to, to, to live this out. This is what it means for me. And so this letter begins. Remember, so this letter is written to a, to a fiercely persecuted church who's struggling. And so John begins by encouraging them, and, and he shows them Christ and who Christ is. And he begins by telling them that, that this Jesus he loves you. He loves the church. And as you read through this book of Revelation, you have to understand that Jesus loves us. And that's what he says in verse 5. It says, And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And so as we read through this book, as we read these letters to the seven churches, we have to understand that they heard it and they heard that, okay, Jesus loves us. And it's a statement that tells us that Christ is committed to loving the church. And, and, and sometimes we think that, that, that Christ loved us in the past. We look at the cross and we say, Christ loved us back there. In Romans 5, 8, Paul said, but, but God demonstrated his own love for us that while we were sinners, he died for us. Past tense. So, so Christ died for us in the past. So we look at it in the past. But we see, we see a dying Christ, and we say that he loved us back then. But, but God's love today is as great as it was 2,000 years ago on the cross. And the message to the churches that day was, yes, Christ loved you. That's why he died for you. But Jesus loves you today, right now. Romans 5.10 then says, For if, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? So we have to understand that Jesus loves us in the present. And the church, churches needed to know that Jesus loved them in the present, in the moment that they were in. And you need to every day remind yourself, be reminded as you're in the Word, that Jesus loves you. You know, Karl Barth, the great German theologian, who did an incredible amount of writing and theological work, 
was once asked, what is the greatest truth that you have ever learned? And Barth said, the greatest truth that I have ever learned is that Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. So one of the greatest truths that we can understand is that Jesus loves us. And what John was trying to communicate to the churches was that Jesus loved them. So we have to understand that Jesus loves the church. And and then as we read on, we understand that, that Jesus, the magnificent Jesus, intercedes for his church. You know, not only does he love it, but he intercedes for it in verse 12. And um, it says that he intercedes for a church. It says, I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. So, so John turns around. He sees these seven golden lampstands, which we know from, from verse 20 was represent the seven churches. And so the seven stars are the seven preachers of the seven churches. And he looks and he sees this vision of a symbol of the church. And, and so, so the church, which is the most precious thing on earth to Christ, and, and, and among these churches, it says that the Son of Man is moving. And he's moving as one clothed in a garment, a robe that goes from, from, from head to toe. He's clothed in this garment, and this robe goes all the way full length with a belt around it. And here, what is this a picture of? This is a picture of a priest who would walk among the, the, the lampstands, who would care for the lampstands in the temple. He would walk around in the temple and it was his job to, to keep the, the wicks trimmed and to keep the oil full and, and it was his job to take care of the seven of these lampstands that were in the temple. And so what this is a picture of, this robe, this is a picture of, of a priest. And remember, Jesus, it says in the book of Hebrews, is our great high priest. And what does a high priest do? It says in, in, first, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. It says, for this, for, for this reason, he made all his brothers in every... He was made... Sorry, let me start over. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. For this reason, he had, he had to be made like his brothers in every... Jesus had to be made like us, in other words in order that he might become a merciful, faithful high priest in the service of God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. So, so Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the great high priest. In other words, Jesus came into the world. He, he, he endured and, and everything that we endure as human beings so that he might understand who we are. He might understand what it is to be a human being. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. So Jesus is our great high priest. And what does the high priest do? He intercedes for the people. 
In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, it says, Therefore, he is able once and for all to save those who come to him. He lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. And so he is a high priest, so he loves the church. He intercedes for the church. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us right now. But then he goes on, and so he loves, he intercedes, but he also disciplines. He disciplines his church because he loves it, because of of his passion for the church. It says in verse 14, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. Have you ever pictured Jesus in that way? with white hair and a white robe and and blazing eyes. Hmm. His feet were like bronze in a furnace and his voice, the sound of, of rushing waters. Have you ever pictured Jesus in that way with this loud voice? An overwhelming voice. Have you, have you ever been at, at um, like Niagara Falls or some rushing waters? The, 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 the sound is almost overbearing. And so what John says is that is Jesus' voice. And so his head and his hair were white as wool. And, 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 and that speaks to his purity. His, his untarnished, absolute, spotless purity. With no stain or impurity, his hair was white as could be. And it's a picture here of the pure Christ, the pure and spotless Christ searching out his church and any impurity that that exists within the church. And and we'll look at that over the next seven weeks as, as he points out the impurities in the church. But his eyes are penetrating and piercing the lives of of the people within the church. And and he sees every sin. And then he responds in verse 15 with judgment. His feet are like bronze, red hot in a furnace. And this is the idea of, of stamping out with fire and with wrath anything that is impure. Because... God hates sin. He hates the sin of the unbeliever, and he hates the sin of those within the church. And he desires for his church to be pure. And that should be our desire, is for the church to be pure and spotless. And so we see him with this double-edged sword coming out of his mouth, with his piercing eyes and his blazing hot feet stamping out with judgment, sin in the church. And he disciplines the church for its own good and, and he disciplines because he wants his church to be pure. So we have this this Jesus that we see in Revelation as as one who loves the church, 
one who intercedes for the church, and then one who, who disciplines his church for their own good. But then also we see that Christ comforts his church. I mean, can you imagine being John and you see this vision of Christ and he had met Jesus, he had been with Jesus, he walked with Jesus and and the picture of Christ, the vision of Christ was so overwhelming to him. He says, I saw him and I fell to his feet as though I was dead. I mean, he fainted, he collapsed because of the beauty and the majesty and the power of Christ. And imagine as he's laying there, as John is laying there scared to death, literally, all of a sudden he feels Jesus' right hand on his shoulder. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. Don't be afraid, John. You see, I I am the first and the last. I am he that lives, John. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever. And John, I hold the keys to death and Hades. You're my child, John, and, and, and I may discipline you, but that discipline serves, even though it may be severe, don't worry, John. I'm in control. I'm in control ultimately of who lives and who dies. And John, remind the churches, remind the seven churches that that I'm in control. I am the first and the last. Nobody will ever take that away from me. I am sovereign over death. I am sovereign over hell. And John There's nothing for you to worry about. So Jesus writes, has John write this letter to remind the churches that he's in charge. And I believe if we read this letter as a church living in a country where, we are, where, where they are fiercely persecuted, this would be comforting to know that ultimately he is in control. And he puts his hand on us and says, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. I understand what you're going through. I know how you feel because I've been there. I lived in skin. I know what persecution is all about. It's going to be okay. I understand what you're going through. I will be with you. He he reminds this church that's going through this fierce persecution that I'm in control. And what we see throughout the whole book of Revelation ultimately is that that he is in control. I mean, if you go to the end, I don't want to spoil it, but, but we win. 
Because Jesus is in control. And the other good news that John wants, wants the, that Jesus wants the churches of Revelation to know is that there's a reward for the church. There's a reward for those that are faithful. He says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. He wants them to know that if they are faithful, that there is a reward waiting for them. And in, in Revelation chapter 22, he says, Behold, I am coming soon, and my reward is with me, and I will give to everyone according to what he has done. So Jesus wants the churches to know. He wants us to know because this is a letter to us that when we persevere, when we stand strong, when we live faithfully, we will receive that reward when he returns. And he will give each one of us exactly what we deserve. And lastly, Christ will glorify his church. And the final chapters of Revelation tell us that Christ has planned to glorify his bride, the church. And that he has this, this beautiful celestial city waiting for us. This eternal home that, that is waiting for his faithful people. Which he has prepared, he has prepared this place for us. And all of that, Revelation says, will one day be ours when we go to be with him. So as you read this book, remember that Jesus is building his church, his way, that he is committed to his church, that that he loves his church, that he continually intercedes for his church and at times disciplines his church, and yet comforts and rewards and ultimately will glorify. So, when we look at this book of Revelation, as we, as we go through and, and study these seven churches over the next seven weeks, I want us to look at Revelation through this filter of, of this magnificent Christ. And I want you to find the beauty of Jesus 
in the book, the beauty and the power of Jesus in the book of Revelation. You know, Revelation causes a lot of really dumb arguments. Um, I don't want that to happen. You know, I don't want us to engage in a bunch of silly debate about things that we can't know. I want us to look at this book and see the beauty of Jesus in it and what we are to do with it, how we are to respond. Because it truly is a beautiful book if we allow it to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for um, just this book of Revelation and and. Um, this revelation that you gave to John allowed him to write to us so that we could get a glimpse of your majesty, of your power and your authority. Father, may we um, be blessed as we read it hear it, study it. Um, Maybe recognize just your greatness. And Father, may it change us ultimately. Continue to mold and shape us through your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen.